It was not by my design that in Sunday school, the lesson we're going through deals with the book of Habakkuk and that I've been preaching through Habakkuk at the same time. I honestly thought I'd be done preaching through Habakkuk by now. But as I said in Sunday school, God obviously has something for us to learn in the book of Habakkuk. It's one of those minor prophets, book that we don't typically turn to, right? But what a powerful book it is. And it almost is like reading the front page of the paper in many ways with the things that you see happening in Judah at the time. And the response of Habakkuk toward the evil in the world. How do we see him crying out to God as the nation of Judah continues in wickedness and not repenting toward God? But as we've been going through, we saw he was crying out to God. He's troubled by what he sees. And then God tells him of impending judgment. Remember, this book is written somewhere between 607, 609, 609 to 607, I guess be the right way to say that, B.C., and 605 B.C. is the first campaign of Nebuchadnezzar against Judah, followed by 597 and then the wiping out Judah in 586 B.C. But Israel, the northern kingdom, was already taken by the Assyrians a long time before this in 724 B.C. So God tells Habakkuk there's going to be a judgment, but then Habakkuk changes his tune. He goes, wait a minute, God, we're more righteous than they are. Why are you going to use them against us? God then comes in chapter 2 and tells Habakkuk that he's going to judge the Chaldeans, but not yet. He's going to use them first. And he reminds Habakkuk that he's still on the throne, he's still God. And so now chapter 3 gives the conclusion of this conversation between Habakkuk and God as we see Habakkuk's changed focus. You see, when we take our eyes off the circumstances and the temporary things of this world and focus rather on God and the eternal, it's amazing how our perspective will change. But the reason why we act and do the things that we do too often is because we're focused on the temporal things, we're focused on the circumstances, we're focused on this world, and Christian, we got to get our eyes off of now and look at eternity and focus on God, and I promise you, your view of life will change. So this morning's message we're going to look at Habakkuk's change focus, as he now records his new perspective. And if you are physically able, if you please stand with me as we read verses 1 through 19 of chapter 3. We'll read the whole chapter. Habakkuk chapter 3, starting at verse 1. A prayer Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigonoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy works in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known and wrath remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth, and behold, and drove asunder the nations, and everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in, in, in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? 
What's thine anger against the rivers? What's thy wrath against the sea that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? Thy bow was made quite naked, according to the oaths of the tribes, even thy word, Selah. Let me stop for a minute. The word Selah, this is actually a song. I'll give that part away. Okay, and so are the Psalms. And you see that word Selah often in, 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 the, in the Psalms or a lot of times in a song. It's a pause. It's a rest. And it gives us the idea of stop and think about this. And so when you see that word, you know what a good idea is? Stop and think about it. Okay, so let's move on. We were in verse 9. I'm sorry. The bow was made quite, uh, quite naked according to the oath of the tribes, even thy word Selah. Thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee, and they trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by, and the deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hand on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrow they went, and as the shining of thy glittering spear. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Thou wentest forth from the, uh, for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed, Thou, wouldest the head, thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck, Selah. Thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villages. They came out as whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at thy voice, rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up upon the people, he will invade them with his troops. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, the fields shall not uh, yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord... I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. And so as we see Habakkuk's change focus, I first want us to notice his request to God. His request to God. Secondly, we'll observe his refocus on God. And that'll be the middle portion there. And then in the end, in verses 17 and 19, we'll see his rejoicing in God. Again, you and I must focus on God and the eternal, not the things of this world. Father, again, bless the reading of your word and now the preaching of your word. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. A prayer of Habakkuk. As we look at the request to God, this is a prayer. Because if we're going to speak to God, we need to come to him in prayer, right? Are we bringing our request to God? Are we taking our request to the one who can actually do something about the situation we're in? As I've said many times, I feel often we go to everybody else instead of going to God. It's like we take God as a last resort instead of the first one to whom we should go. But does not Paul command us in the book of Philippians in chapter 4, verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. The word care, careful there, 
little bit different than the way we view it typically today. The idea is being full of care. In other words, don't worry about things. Take it to God. Stop worrying about everything, Christian. Take it to God. But here's the thing. We say, I'm going to take my burdens to the cross and I'm going to leave them there. But you and I take our burdens to the cross and we drop them off temporarily. But then we keep checking. Hmm, I wonder if he's doing anything yet. I wonder if he's doing anything yet. Leave it alone. Stop worrying. When I was younger, I used to worry about everything. I try not to worry about things anymore. One, because God has taught me it's sin. That's most important. You do realize that, right? It is sin. And secondly, all it ever did was kept me up at night and give my stomach issues. So why do that? I like sleep. And I like a calm stomach. Because I like to eat. And I like to eat hot stuff. So why worry? A prayer Habakkuk to prophet upon Shigonoth. And we'll talk about that part later. But verse 2, he says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. I have heard thy speech and was afraid. You know what we lack is a healthy fear of God. We lack a healthy fear of God. God had to tell Jeremiah, don't fear their faces, Jeremiah. But we put more fear in people than we do in a holy God to whom we're going to stand before one day. Too often we make decisions on, what will so-and-so think about it? Well, I don't know if I can do that because I don't want to offend so-and-so or whatever. We think more about people than we do offending a holy God. I should fear him and not man. Because you know what? I don't want to offend a holy God. Now, I am thankful that fear, again, does not talk about a cowering from God, okay? But when we get a proper perspective of God, we're going to get a proper fear of God. Think again of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. As he's, allowed, as he's brought into the throne room of God and he hears the angel crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Now what do we find him doing? Just standing there? Wow, this is pretty cool. No, we find him flat on his face saying, Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. You see, a healthy fear of God, realizing the holiness of God, realizing the perfection of God, realizing the power of God, realizing who our God is, should strike a fear in my heart or a reverence or an awe of who he is. And I am going to stand before him someday and give an account of my life. That should strike a fear in my heart to say, I do not want to disappoint him. But you know what changed? It wasn't the circumstances. It was Habakkuk who changed. Because when he saw the holiness of God and he understood that God is still on the throne and he focused on God and focused on eternity and stopped focused on the circumstances, the circumstances didn't change, but the attitude of Habakkuk did. Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. We need to get back to a proper fear of God. You know why we keep our, our services here at Freedom Baptist Church traditional? It's not because it's the way it's always been done. 
It's not because we're afraid of change. It's not because we're trying to be just old-fashioned stick, stick in the mud. It's because I believe a holy God has said, when you come to worship me, this is what I expect from you. And so we are trying to line up because I would rather fear him than fear man. I would rather do it God's way than do it man's way because this is a church service where we're talking about a holy God, where we're here to worship him, where we're here to praise him, where we're here to preach his word, not entertain. And there have been those over the years that have said about the preaching, it's good preaching, but I don't like your music. I've heard some say, can't you tone down the preaching a little bit? Had one guy come here for a while and he said, you know, I don't like the way you talk about blah, 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 but I'm not going to try to ever change you. The last words out of his mouth when he walked out that door for the last time is, I'll pray you change someday. And I looked at him and said, I pray I don't. I don't mean that arrogantly, folks, but I want to be right because I serve a holy God and he deserves my fear, my respect. So then he says, O Lord, verse 2, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy works in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. By the way, I'll say again, this is a song also. It's a prayer and a song. And so a lot of this is Hebrew poetry. And I really don't have time to get into it, but it's really beautiful poetry written here. But you know what's interesting? He accepts the fact, okay, God, you're going to judge Judah. You're going to use the Chaldeans to do it. But here's what I'm requesting. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. You see, often we pray for revival so that we don't see our nation fall apart further. Habakkuk knows his nation is heading towards judgment. He says, revive thy work in the midst of the years. God's work of revival is not limited to our circumstances. In other words, God, in the end here, he says, in wrath, remember mercy. Lord, remember, you've made a promise to this nation. And God had promised. He's not going to completely destroy the nation. There is going to be a remnant. There is going to be those that he is going to save alive. And and Habakkuk starts turning, Lord, revive them. Bring us back to you. Turn our hearts back to you. You know, revive has the idea to bring alive again, right? Well, when was I made alive? I was made alive the moment I received Jesus Christ. Paul makes it very clear, Ephesians 2.1, And you hath he quickened, the idea there, made alive, the idea, well, that was almost northern, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Colossians 2.1, And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. You say, what do you mean I was dead? I was alive. No, you were dead in trespasses and sins before you received Jesus Christ. Oh, you're physically alive, but you're spiritually dead. And we are born spiritually dead apart from God until the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. But aren't you glad at the moment of salvation that he places within you the indwelling Holy Spirit and you are made alive? Hallelujah. But here's the thing. I was made alive when I received Jesus Christ. But there's times 
when I can become cold-hearted or lose my first love, as we see in Revelation chapter 2, as Jesus Christ is addressing the church at Ephesus, and he's commending them, he says, but I have somewhat against you, and that you have left your first love. We call it backsliding. We call it living in carnality. Let me ask you this. Is there a time when you were more in love with Jesus Christ than you are now? If the answer is yes, then you have left your first love. You are backslidden. You need to be revived. Doesn't mean you've lost your life. You need to be revitalized in your life. You know why we're having a couples conference? It's not because we think every couple in this church has a bad relationship. But you know, I want my relationship revived. Now, I think my relationship with Susan is better than it's ever been before. But it can only get better, right? It can always get better. And I want it to get better. Well, so it should be with my relationship with God is that it should be growing. It should be, I should be growing more in love with him. But those times when my heart gets cold, I need to be revived, brought back into love with him. And that was what Jesus was saying to the church at Ephesus. That's what Habakkuk is saying is, God, okay, I understand you're going to judge your people, but can you still work in our hearts and bring us back to you, God? Bring us back to you. Oh, folks, we see our nation on a fast track running from God. Number one, what are we doing? Praying? Are we praying? Number two, are we sharing the gospel? What are we doing, Christians, about it? Okay, but I understand it takes a work of God. Are we praying and asking God, do a great work among us. Revive us in the midst of years. Revive thy work. You see, I hear often today this attitude of, well, the Bible told us the end times would be bad. And Jesus said he would come and rapture his church out of here. So I'm sitting on my thumbs waiting for Christ to come. I hear this attitude way too frequently. Well, things are getting bad, so I quit. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Get me out of my mess. May I say, God forgive us of that attitude. It's a very selfish, carnal attitude. Jesus said, occupy till I come. There are still souls dying and going to hell. I still have a responsibility to share the gospel with them. I still have a responsibility to stand for truth and righteousness. Not until I see things get so bad that I want to roll over and quit. But until Jesus comes to take me home, I have a responsibility to be faithful all the way to that moment. So he requests revival. In the midst of years, in the end of verse says, In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. Okay, Lord, I understand your wrath is going to be poured out on us. Remember, Lord, as Psalm 145, verse 8 tells us, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. God, remember mercy. You know, we sing in our country about God bless America. We talk about God being gracious to us. Let me tell you something. How about we remember, in wrath, remember mercy. God, be merciful to me. Sometimes I feel we come to God as the Pharisee when he came to pray, God, I'm a really good guy. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not a thief. I'm not even as this publican here. 
but God, I'm really good. And I'm so glad that I'm on your side. It's time we start coming to God as that publican who would not even look up to heaven. But the Bible says, as he's kneeling there, he beats upon his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I am thankful God showed his mercy and grace to me when I came to him for salvation. But let me tell you something. I need his grace and mercy to live for him because I am still a sinful man. I'm saved by grace, but I am still a sinful man. And how dare we ever come to God as that Pharisee thinking that we have arrived and we're somehow somebody. But yet, when we come to God as Habakkuk did at the beginning, God, why aren't you judging them all? Look at how bad they are. And God says, I am going to judge them. Well, don't use them. We're more righteous than they are. We are showing our arrogance. God, be merciful to me. We saw his request to God. Let's look secondly then on his refocus on God. Now, as you go through this passage, he gives several attributes of God's character. In verse 3, he says, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. The Holy One. He stops and thinks about the Holy One of Israel, the Holy God that we serve. The one that is totally set apart. The one that is unique. The one that is... How do you describe the holiness of God? He's perfect. He's God. Do we stop and think about how holy our God is? His glory covered the heavens, it continues in verse 3. And the earth was full of his praise. He's glorious. You know, again, I just go back to that scene in Isaiah when Isaiah is standing in the throne room of God and the angels just crying out to God. And, and could you imagine just the glory that surrounds the throne of God? You don't think God is glorious? Get up in the morning and watch a sunrise. Or watch a sunset. You know, that's just his finger work. I love the way the Bible describes it. It's the finger work of God. You know, I, I, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but it's kind of like his finger painting. I mean, imagine what the whole picture really looks like. And that's just a testament of the glory of who he is. That's amazing. He's praiseworthy. It says, the earth was full of his praise. Oh, that the children of men would praise the Lord. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every man, woman, boy, and girl today were praising God? You know, that was God's desire. That's why he created us. He wants us to come to him and praise him. He wants us to thank him for giving us life, to thank him for creating us, to thank him for who he is. Can you imagine if the whole world were doing that? Wow, what a different place this would be. But he's praiseworthy. He's worthy of our praise. So Christian, as we go about our day, as we go through our weeks, how about we praise God openly? Well, I'm afraid I might offend somebody. Let me say again, I'd rather fear God than fear men. So praise be to God. You know, it's amazing to me. Are you allowed to say that? Well, nobody told me I can't. Are we supposed to do that? Well, why do we ask these questions? If God told us to, just do it. Well, you have to relieve your religion at the door when you come into government. I'm so sick and tired of hearing that. You have to leave your religion at, war, at the door when you come into work. You know, when I was in Walmart, I used to pray with coworkers. Never got in trouble once for it. Just saying. 
And you know, you don't talk about politics or religion at work. Okay, I'm not talking about re religion. I'm talking about a relationship with my friend, Jesus Christ, my Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not talking religion. And let me tell you something. The world doesn't mind talking about all their perversion at work. And if they can, if, until they censor all their perversion at work, they're not going to censor this mouth. I promise you that. And they better not yours either. Verse 4. And his brightness was as the light, and he had horns coming out of his hand, and there was hiding of his power. He's all powerful. As you go through the rest of this passage, it starts talking about the power of God. The all-powerful God. Who the oceans... You know, you think about the mighty waves of the oceans, but the oceans have boundaries that God has set, and they go no further. The mountains were created by God. Aren't the mountains beautiful? I love going to the mountains. And every time I look at those majestic mountains, I think, wow, he created these. Verse 6, he stood and measured the earth, and behold, he drove asunder the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow, his ways are everlasting. I am glad he's unchanging. He's everlasting. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you? He's not one of these gods that comes and, and goes. You know, we, we, when we were in high school, we had to study all the different Roman gods and different Greek gods. All these gods come and go. I'm glad I serve the everlasting God, aren't you? You see, focusing on God's character is part of the renewing of our mind. I got a phone call yesterday from a guy who's trying to help somebody else. And he said, I'm trying to help this individual and counseling them. And he goes, do you have any suggestions? I said, I do. I said, I have learned in counseling that sometimes I think we do it unintentionally, but we do it wrong. I said, we give them verses about the sin that they're dealing with. I said, so what's that make them focus on? The sin. I said, I was taught years ago a different method, and it's a biblical method. I said, the Bible tells us that we're to put off the old man and put on the new. We understand that part. I said, but the problem is, is what we often do is try to pull off the old and just put on the new. I said, and the man likened it to taking a lemon tree and picking off all the lemons and gluing on some apples and saying, yay, I made an apple tree. But you didn't. Because in a few weeks, all those apples are going to rot, and you're going to realize it's still a lemon tree, and it's going to still produce lemons. Because in that very important passage, when God says to put off and put on, he puts something in between, and that is the renewing of our mind. The renewing of our mind. So what we got to stop doing is putting people's focus back on the sin, but we need to put their focus rather on God. You say, what are you talking about? All right, okay, let me explain. And I've shared this with the church here before. But when we sin, we are violating the character of God, right? So if I lie, what character of God have I violated? God is truth. God is holy. God is perfect. So if I start focusing on truth, holiness, perfection, I am starting to change the way I think, number one, about God, okay? Because I'm realizing Understand, God's attributes aren't something he has. It's who he is, okay? You and I can have attributes that we can reflect parts of his attributes, but we are not that, if that makes sense, okay? So, I reflect on the holiness of God, 
the truthfulness of God, the truthfulness of God's word, the truth, Jesus Christ, okay? And I start thinking on these things, Philippians 4, 8. I start changing the way I think about God. And when I change the way I think about God, I change the way I think about self. And when I change the way I think about self, it changes the way I think about sin. But if I focus on the sin, guess what I'm going to always be focused on? The sin. If I focus on God, I fo- and my changes my focus, it renews my mind so that it's not just putting off and putting on, it's renewing my mind, it's changing the roots so that instead of having a lemon tree, it actually wants to grow apples instead of lemons. I'll give you the instance where I was talking with this young man. He says, I'm dealing with a young man dealing with lust. And I told him, I said, so typically what we do is we take him to verses that God condemns lust and whatnot. And so I explained this whole process to him and I said, here's when you know you got it. I'm going to be quite frank with you, okay? It is an issue that every man deals with. Right, men? Let's be honest. All right. Here's when I have realized that my mind has been renewed. When I see a beautiful woman going by who's improperly dressed, instead of taking a glance and saying, ooh la la, I look at her and say, what a shame that she feels she should have to sell herself that way. Do you follow how my mind has been renewed? Instead of looking at her and lusting, I look at her in compassion and mercy and say, she needs Jesus Christ. That is how you know your mind has been renewed when you view the sin differently than you used to. You see, but we often get this idea of, I just got to not do it. I get that, okay? I get that. But every time you see a beautiful woman, man, and you still have that thought going through your head, guess what? Your mind's not been renewed. You've got to change the way you think about it. Or much harder done than said. But let me tell you something. I've tried applying this in my life, and it's what I now teach in counseling. And while it's not the easy way to counsel, nor is it the easy way to get victory, I promise you this, it works. It works. Because you're focusing on God, and when you put your focus on God and on the eternal, the temporal things of this world will strangely grow dim. Lies. Go back to that one for just a moment. This is so important, I'm going to take a little extra time today, so don't be in a hurry to get out of here, okay? When I lie, sometimes I think, well, if I tell them the truth, it's going to hurt their feelings. Or if I tell them the truth, it's going to be hard to explain. Or if I tell them the truth, whatever. So this little lie is not going to hurt anybody. But when I focus on truth and I realize that God is truth, Jesus Christ is truth, and truth always matters, and my integrity matters. And instead of thinking that this little lie is going to be okay, it's not going to hurt anybody, but I realize that my integrity is more important than any lie or hurting somebody's feelings or offending somebody, that I'm always going to tell the truth, period. That is when my thinking has been renewed. And we could take this for any sin and say the same thing. So he focuses on the attributes of God's character. Then he focuses on the works of God. And I'll just give you a few of these, and this whole passage is full of them. But in verse 10, as he says, 
the mountain saw thee, and they trembled. The overflowing of water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hand on high. The lifting up his hand on high probably is a reference to the parting of the Red Sea, the, the ocean parting before them. When you come down to verse 11, and it says, The sun and moon stood still in their habitation, a reference to Joshua praying and asking God to hold the sun in place. And you go through this whole passage, and you see reference after reference to all these works of God. Here's what we sometimes do. We think of the God of the Bible who did all these wonderful works and the God of today who doesn't work. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who did miracles in the Old Testament does miracles today. I remember when Susan and I were dating, I don't remember if it was her or me, one of us asked one of the dumbest questions in the world. I think it was me, because she wouldn't do that. Do you believe God still performs miracles? That's a really dumb question. Because every time somebody accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior and is made from a child of hell to a child of God, that is a miracle. My God still does miracles today. And by the way, I believe in other ways God still does miracles today, don't you? We need to focus on the working of God in our lives because it reminds us. You see, sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we read about God sending the plagues upon Egypt and God bringing them out of Egypt and then delivering them across the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army being drowned and providing for them in the, in the wilderness. And we see them complaining. We're like, how can you be, do that? How could you not trust God after he's proved himself over and over and over and over again to you? How do you still doubt him? But before we become critical of the Israelites, how about we look in our own lives and say, God has provided for me over and over and over again. How dare I still question him? But we don't focus on the works of God, reminding us, again, those memorials, if you will, reminding us he's done it before, he can do it again, and he will. So thinking of the works of God reminds us of several things. Number one, he cares for us. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He's proven himself before, and he can and will do it again. Which then, as he's focusing on God, remember, we see this refocus from the temporal, earthly situation that he's in to the eternal God he focuses on the character of God. He focuses on the works of God and then focuses on the faithfulness of God. And again, as he goes through all these illustrations throughout this passage, he's talking about the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. God is faithful. Psalm 36, verse 5, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Lamentations 2, 3, 22 and 23. As of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So Habakkuk brings his request to God. Here he focuses on God. Which brings us to the last point. His then rejoicing in God. So I already said this is a prayer. But go back to verse 1. A prayer Habakkuk the prophet upon Shigonoth. Now, Shigonoth is either a type of song or an instrument. There is a similar spelling to this in the title of Psalm 7. When you go to the title of Psalm 7, and in Psalm 7, it appears to be more of a type of song. But he also does say at the end of this passage to be played on the stringed instruments. So the Shigonoth may have been a certain type of stringed instrument that it was played upon. Either way, 
here's proof that this is not just a prayer, but this is a piece of music. Now, what do we use music for? God created music, by the way. Satan corrupted it like he has everything else. But our music is a way of expressing our praise to God, is it not? So just the fact that, that uh, Haggai, well, Habakkuk, which prophet we in? Habakkuk takes this prayer and writes it in a poetical style and sets it to music, shows that he is praising God. Now, has the wickedness and violence in the land changed? Yes or no? Has any of Habakkuk's circumstances changed at all? Is the fact that Judah is heading toward God's judgment changed? No. But Habakkuk can go from complaining and whining and crying to God to rejoicing in God because Habakkuk's perspective has changed from looking at the earthly things and looking at the circumstances to focusing on God. Christian, this is so important for us. You know why we struggle? Because we're focused on the now and not on the eternal. You know why we're worried and complaining? Because we're focused on the temporal things and not the eternal. And we've got to realize there is still a God in heaven. Why do you think he told Habakkuk, I'm still on the throne. I still got things under control, Habakkuk. You and I got to live like it, Christian. The praising heart will be singing praises to God. Ephesians 5, 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And my wife says, keep it in your heart, not across your lips. Because I can't hold a tune, she says. No, she's actually helped me. This is no lie. When I was dating Susan, I was listening to the wrong type of music and I could not really sing at all. And we would stand in church and I would try to hold it close. Number one, because I am hard, hard to see, hard to see and so I wanted to see the words but secondly because I was hoping she would stand closer to me you know but then all of a sudden I see her doing this with her side of the book and I'm like what is wrong and so I asked her one day I said is something wrong she goes your singing's horrible you know what the truth is I still love to sing and I love to sing praises to God and he tells me in his ears it's beautiful music but we can rejoice despite the circumstances. His circumstances haven't changed, but his attitude did. His attitude changed when his perspective changed. He's now focused on God and not the things of this world. He's focused on the eternal, not the temporal. Now that his focus is on the holy, unchanging God, he no longer asks God why, but rather rejoices in God. And you know, despite... The fact that judgment is coming. Let's go down now to 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vine. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Things are going to get pretty gloomy. I can speak. Things are going to get pretty uh, bad around here, is what he's saying. Yet verse 18. I will rejoice in the Lord. That seems like that's a choice of the will, doesn't it? I will rejoice in the Lord. You understand? It's about choices we make. I will rejoice. It's not, 
you know, okay, everything's good now, I can rejoice. No, despite everything's bad, I still make a choice to rejoice. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Let me tell you something. Despite whatever's going on in this world, despite how bad things may get, even if persecution can come, hallelujah, they can never take away my salvation. They can never take away my eternal life. And I can always rejoice in the fact that I am a child of God. Hallelujah. Right? I can make a choice to always rejoice. And that rhymed. And I didn't even mean to. But now you got a new one. I can always make a choice to always rejoice. The Lord God, verse 19, is my strength. We always try to find this inner strength, strengthen me, find the goodness in me. Well, Jeremiah says, my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And I need to realize I am to die to self. I have no strength in me. The strength that I have comes from God he is my strength, and I can rejoice in that. So I can rejoice in the fact that he's my salvation. I can rejoice that he's my strength. He will make me to walk upon high places. You see, serving God brings joy. Have you ever had opportunity to serve others, whether it be helping somebody who's broken down alongside the road, whether it be uh, helping somebody who's needy or... Whatever the case may be, do you find joy in serving others? I do. There's joy in serving others. Then why do we get so wrapped up in self when true joy comes from being a servant to others? And as I serve others, can I not be serving Christ by serving others? Absolutely. And so the joy that comes from serving God is another reason. So look at the picture I chose this morning. You see the mountains in the background look all blurry. That's how we typically look at life. Just as Habakkuk was, looking at his circumstances, all this wickedness around me, all this violence around me. And then when God says, I'm going to judge, and I'm going to use the Chaldeans to do it, his focus is still out. He's like, but God, we're more righteous than they are. I don't get this. And God finally has to tell him, Habakkuk, I have a plan. I will judge them someday, but in the meantime, I'm going to use them. I'm still on the throne. I'm still God. And when Habakkuk starts focusing on the character of God, and he starts focusing on the works of God, his focus changes, and it's like looking through that lens. All of a sudden, everything's clear. It's time we stop looking at this world through the eyes of the flesh and start looking at it through the lens of Scripture and seeing it the way God wants us to see it. Focusing, rather than focusing on the things of this world, focusing on God, and Christian, may I promise you, everything will come more into focus as it did for the prophet Habakkuk. He has seen the wickedness of the people of Judah. He's cried to God over the wickedness. God has revealed he's going to judge using the Babylonians. But Habakkuk was perplexed because God has chosen to use such a wicked people to accomplish his purpose. And God responded, Habakkuk, I'm still on the throne. Habakkuk now has a fresh perspective on life and writes this beautiful prayer and song that reminds us to focus on God and not the things of this world. Christian, where's your focus today? Where's your focus today? 
Is your focus on the circumstances around you or is your focus on God? Is your focus on the temporal things of this life or is your focus on the eternal? May God give us the proper focus. Let's bow for a word of prayer.